Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas and Caballeros. Welcome to another episode of Leave It in the Ring. I am your host, Gabriel Montoya, uh, joined, as always, by Dave Duenas, although I'm uh, not quite sure where Dave is at the moment. Uh, I'm hoping that he shows up at some point, or uh, it's either going to be a short show or a very strange show, as I uh, attempt to do this all by myself. Um, this is a pretty busy boxing weekend last weekend. Uh, we had the, uh, the finale of the cruiserweight wing of the uh, season one of the World Series of – or rather the World Boxing Super Series. Uh, Oleksandr Usyk uh, absolutely dominates uh, Murat Gassiev over 12 rounds in uh, what was a rather appropriate performance for someone that was fighting for something known as the, uh, the Ali Trophy, the inaugural first ever, uh, that's what inaugural means, uh, Ali Trophy. Uh, Usyk, you know, Dave and I were split on this. Dave picked Usyk. I picked Gassiev. Um, I thought that Gassiev off of the uh, Dortikos victory uh, would, would kind of do the similar, same thing that he did uh, to Dortikos. That he, uh, yeah, I thought he would do the same thing to Usyk, would kind of absorb some shots early on, have some, uh, you know, maybe some, some tight rounds early on, but the pressure would eventually bust the pipes of Usyk. Um, that really wasn't the case. Uh, Usyk came out, and um, I think he, he really, you know, not only he established his jab right off the bat, um, and fought, you know, a little bit um, like uh, Vasil Lomachenko, uh, used crazy footwork, moving in and out, uh, lifting up his back leg, kind of, uh, you know, bouncing backwards, you know, fading backwards and popping forwards. But everything, everything off of that multiple jab. Um, and it was kind of a pity pat shot, um, just tap, tap, tap. And then he would throw in something hard, move away. And Gassiev just uh, never got his foot on the gas. Uh, never really got into the fight. He landed a body shot uh, and then completely disappear. And uh, it, it was, what was strange to me throughout it, you know, I tweeted this throughout, was that uh, did they not know they were facing a, a, a southpaw who likes to move, a guy that likes to throw a lot of shots? Because um, it, it didn't look like it. Uh, southpaws circle to their right. They move away. Uh, the opposite way that, uh, you know, to move and get in, you know, their power in range the opposite way that an orthodox fighter does. Um, that's what Usyk did all night. It just kept sliding to the side, sliding to the side, uh, out to his right after landing some shots. And Gassiev never moved to his left to try to stop that, never tried to corral him with a, with a wide left hook, uh, never tried to punch with Usyk. Uh, instead, he just kind of absorbed shots, almost like an Arthur Abraham, you know, would put up his gloves, take the shots, and then hope to land something. But by the time he had a chance to, Usyk would be gone. And it was just rinse, repeat for 12 rounds. Uh, I, I just didn't understand what the game plan was. And, uh, you know, looking in the corner, you know, I don't want to throw Abel Sanchez under the bus uh, because plenty of other people did. Uh, it didn't seem like there was a plan. It didn't seem like there was adjustments being made. And so it was very frustrating to watch, you know, and by the, I would say the fifth or sixth round, maybe a little later, 
but it was the middle of the fight. Uh, Abel Sanchez, Gassiev's trainer, was already saying, you want me to throw in, you, know, you want me to stop the fight? And to me, that's the kind of card that you pull at the end of the fight, you know, like the last quarter. Not the kind of thing that you say to your fighter, uh, you know, right there in the middle of the fight. I mean, those are kind of like, you know, emotional pleas that are supposed to wake the guy up and light a fire under his ass. Instead, what we got is, you know, uh, that kind of, you know, non-adjustment, kind of an emotional plea. Uh, instead of saying, like, you got to get inside, you got to use your jab, which Gassiev wasn't doing. You got to work your way in there, get to his body, do some damage. Um, it was one shot at a time. It's not going to do it. And I think the biggest adjustment they could have had was that, you know, you deal with the pity pat jab of, of Gossi or of uh, Usyk, but, you know, we know that he's going to start to throw. So you start to throw with him. And instead uh, what we got was what we got, which was a 12 round domination uh, complete with a, a Ollie shuffle in the, in the 12th round cherry on top from Usyk uh, who uh, Ollie's wife came in and, uh, co-presented the Ali trophy to him. It was a pretty great moment. And uh, that capped off season one of uh, the World Boxing Super Series, at least in the cruiserweight division. We're still trying to find a, a date for, uh, for the, uh, the final uh, in the other bracket. Um, you know, Usyk now, where does he go? Um, he called out Tony Bellew, which is... <laughs> Is that really a call out, or is that somebody's might like he's calling out a bank? Like you know, I want money uh, because that's really a money fight. I'm not excited by that fight. Uh, I don't know anybody else that is. It'll be an action fight, I suppose. Um, you know, uh, Belu might give him some experience. You know, uh, give him some moments, but I, I don't see that being any more competitive than the Gassiev fight was. Uh, a lot of people are already calling for the you know uh, for the very tall it was six three and a half. It's a big guy. Uh, you know, he, he topped out at 200 pounds here in the cruiserweight division. Uh, maybe add like, you know, 15 pounds uh, to move up to heavyweight and try to compete with, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder, who are the uh, kingpins at heavyweight. Those are intriguing fights. I wouldn't mind seeing him, you know, face off, uh, say, the, the winner of uh, Dillian White, Joseph Parker. Uh, that could be an intriguing matchup. Uh, but and, you know, those two guys square off at the O2 Arena in London this weekend on Sky Box Office. Uh, very intriguing heavyweight matchup. Um, uh, that seems to be the path is is let's make some money at this point. Because, you know, at Cruiserweight, uh, now Usyk has all the belts. So, you know, he could stick around and, and start defending them, you know. Uh, you know, but is there really anything that attractive for Oleksandr Usyk uh, at, at that weight, you know, does he have anything else to prove? Uh, do, is he interested in the long reign or does he want to move on up and, and, and make some money? I, I think that's the name of the game is prize fighting. Uh, it's not pride fighting. Um, you know, and, and Maris Bredis, uh, who had rather lackluster uh, win this weekend, he's in line uh, in the WBC uh to to pick up uh, to be a, a he was a top contender in the WBC I should say, um, so uh, you know do you really want to see that fight again? Do we need to see that fight again? I don't think so. Uh, so you know maybe it's time he, he moves on up and and uh, you know test test the waters up there. Um, you know we got a caller on the line and uh, since it's only me and I'm kind of getting tired of talking to myself, uh, let's patch him in. I have a feeling I know who this is nine one seven. You're live on Leave It in the Ring. Good 
It's Amilcar, man. Good to speak to you. It's been a while. It's been a long while, man. How are you, Milcar? Pretty good, Gabe. Um, summertime, on vacation, enjoying the boxing. Living's easy. Yeah. Yeah. For now, I mean, once the school year starts again, I'm going to be busy again. But, yeah, life's good, man. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing great, man. I, uh, I finished out a, a very successful run of a play here in town, a world premiere. Uh, I was dying to do like cool. all year, and and yeah, that went really great. We got great reviews, and uh, and and except one, but that's all right. That person's usually kind of negative about stuff, so uh, I'm just going to let her reviews speak for itself. But uh, right. you know, some people just don't like to have fun, I guess. But uh, yeah, I'm about, I'm like. Uh, Oh, about a month away from Burning Man. So, yeah, life good is hear, really good. Yeah, yeah, good very exciting. <laughs> so when I, when I called in at first, I heard you talking about the uh, Gassayev-Usyk fight, and I agree with a lot of what you were saying. You know, I have been, you know, wanting to be a little bit more critical in terms of conversations I've had with friends and stuff about Abel Sanchez, Um than I than I'm than I, than I'm about to be, but I'll be honest. I think he's a little overrated as a trainer. Um, hmm. I started thinking this after the Canelo fight when he started complaining about how Canelo was, you know, running. Uh, when you know, I don't think Canelo was running. I'm not a big Canelo fan, but I don't think he was running. Uh, and this kind of whole thing about how somebody needs to fight, kind of like a quote unquote Mexican, which is always kind of irked me a little bit, not not just because my granddad's Mexican, but just to pigeonhole a whole nation of 100,000, oh, sorry, 100 million plus people into this, like, very one-dimensional ethnic stereotype as it relates to boxing. Like, Mexico's produced guys just with exceptional boxing skills. Um, to yeah. say that a, a Mexican fighter is, I don't know, you know, I name some head-first doesn't know any defense style of fighter. I mean, did Barrera fight like that? Did Morales fight like that? Juan Manuel Marquez definitely didn't fight like that. Salvador uh, Sanchez didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so to say that Canelo had to fight like something that I don't even think really exists, it, it bothered me. But it also made me think about, look, man, if you're such a great trainer and your fighter is such a great fighter, why didn't you make any adjustments? Okay, he wasn't coming forward, and, you know, you weren't able to do what you did to, let's say, Vanis Martiroshin or other undersized, you know, welterweights and junior middleweights. But where were the adjustments? And I think it showed again in this last fight this weekend that, I mean, again, where were the adjustments? You know, like you said, he's a southpaw. You know, why not, you know, fall engage in, in, like, the most basic tactics of fighting a southpaw, let alone one that's jabbing constantly and who's not, you know, coming forward. Gabe, looking at Usyk and his past fights, did you think he was just going to plod forward and be be, be a one-dimensional punching bag? That, you know, that's one of the things that really bothered me was people were saying, oh, it's, it's going to be a fight of the year candidate. And then they were all disappointed. Oh, it wasn't. It was it was boring. And one, I didn't think it was boring at all. I thought it was a, definitely not to see a total domination like that um, was was pretty exciting, actually. And, yeah, I, I expected him to move. I, I expected him to fade a little bit because I thought Gossiev would bring a little more and, and figure out the guy to offset the speed. 
Um, but you're right. I, I saw no adjustments. I saw emotional appeals. You know, do you want me to stop Absolutely. the fight? Let your hands go. That's not an adjustment. Um, no. You know? Yeah. No, no. I, I, I like Abel personally, you know, and that's, that's always a tough thing about this business is like you get to know people a little bit. And so it's harder to criticize them in a sense. But I noticed the same thing in the Canelo fight that you did. Where were the adjustments? They looked a little shell-shocked on the big stage, and it looked that way again here on this stage. And you thought, you know, maybe that they were going to be a little more comfortable being in Moscow, but it sure didn't turn out that way. Gostiev looked by the fourth round, like, discouraged. I agree. And look, I'm not one to criticize coaches, trainers, whatever you want to call them. Because the old saying goes, you know, the players or the fighters get credit for the wins and the coaches, trainers, they get you know, blame for the losses. But, I mean, I've just been looking at kind of the things he's been saying. You know, even in, in, in the pre-fight stuff for the rematch with Canelo, I mean, he's talking about, well, if you stand there like a man and box like a Mexican and all of this other stuff, you know, the result will be different. Well, rather than expect Canelo to fight how you want him to fight, why don't you start making adjustments? I don't know. Maybe it's gamesmanship, but... What I saw this past Saturday leads me to think that, it, that it's not gamesmanship. I just think it's no. a guy who, who struggles to make adjustments, who trains fighters a certain way, and when things don't go that, the way that he wants them to go, they, they, they're, they just kind of get be, bewildered. They don't know what to do. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And, and you know, uh, it's it's – not the same thing, but I've always kind of made this this comparison. Uh, maybe it's just because it's, it's life I'm living. But in theater, like, you know, actors and, and boxers are always kind of the same hustle to me. Like, you've got to be really um, – it's all about you. You know, your career is uh, – you know, no one's going to care about your career but you. You maybe get a manager, uh, you know, maybe get an agent. But those people are, are there to kind of help you with the business, and they're not going to motivate you, and they can't do the job for you. And uh, I'm not just an actor. I, I direct plays, too. And, you know, you can tell somebody, this is what I need you to do in this moment. This is what I see. This is the adjustment. And the, the, the very good to great actors can make adjustments and the, the rest can't. And, there's, you know, no matter how clearly you see it and no matter how many ways you say it, there's just some actors that can't do everything. And that's kind of this relationship, you know, sometimes with the fighter. It's like the trainer can see it. And, you know, I mean, you know, look at like an Amir Khan. He's been through a few trainers. His flaws haven't really changed. And I imagine they've been addressed. And guys are who they are sometimes, you know. And uh, Dave and I were talking about this. We've talked a lot about the Canelo uh, uh, Triple G rematch. And, I, you know, people are, keep saying, well, like I think Abel is trying to game the officials and just kind of like Pat Riley it or Phil Jackson it in that he keeps talking about what he doesn't want to have happen in the fight in the hopes that that kind of influences the fight. But to me, it's like if triple G doesn't train differently, he's not going to fight any differently and no amount of the positive tests and all that, Oh, he's going to fight with bad blood. He's still an older fighter with a lot of miles on him. Uh, He's probably not going to fight any different unless he does something drastically different. That's just the way it works. Yeah, a lot of, you know, Miles, a lot of repetition in terms of his training, in terms of his tactics. Look, he he does very well kind of bullying around. And I'm not saying Triple G is not a good fighter. I think he's obviously one of the best fighters. But, you know, he 
he I'm probably one of the few people that thinks that he did struggle a lot with Danny Jacobs. I was at that fight. I'm not saying Jacobs won, but you could see that Triple G was was struggling kind of with the size and the the strength that Jacobs has, and he was clearly struggling when he fought Canelo, and Canelo wasn't doing what he you know what he wanted Canelo to do. I've got I've got a question for you though, Gay. Um, you said that that you wouldn't be interested in the um, the Tony Bellu fight with Usyk. Um, honestly, I I think it's interesting in the way that. Tony Bellu, David Hay was interesting in terms of it being kind of a spectacle. Um, honestly, think think about this for a second. Have, and, and I asked somebody this earlier today on, on Twitter. Can you think of another fighter that has reached the undisputed championship, either in the three-belt or four-belt era, as fast or faster than Usyk? Because, I, I honestly, I can't. Yeah, I can't either. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's probably it's a question right. for. Undisputed. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, it's, pretty, it's an amazing accomplishment. Well, and it, I think, it also speaks to just how great the uh, World Boxing Super Series is. You know, when it started, I was pretty. Um, I, I was a little skeptical just because I think you know, um, the Super Six. You know, I, I still had some PTSD from how long that took. Um, and how weird it was and, and kind of unsatisfying in some ways. Um, yeah. It just didn't, all the weird language, group six and all this crazy shit, you know, uh, it just didn't work And then work for uh, me. Darrell refusing to fight Ward, which kind of was a disappointment to me. And there was a couple other things. Yeah, Ward not fighting right. overseas yeah. and uh, Alan yeah. Green, gratuitous Alan Green. I mean, come on. Um, you know, it just was not, yeah. But this, um to me, it's like this is how it should work, you know. Uh, that the, the the best fight the best, and they do it in a timely fashion, and then we crown a winner. And I mean, just even the production value. I mean, I would have never thought that that, that just that like the ring walk, and then they both go into slow motion, and like the the light of you know the ring of light above their head, and that was badass. Like I was so much watching better than what we see over here. Oh my goodness! Yeah. It's such a like an opposite of what Al Heyman tried to do with the PBC. Like, let's get rid of the ring walk and and all the entourage and all that stuff. Like, oh, it was just so cheesy looking compared to what these guys did. They spent the money, and it's just a great Absolutely. product. Including the gala, actually, that they do. You know, a little gala event that they do when they kind of pick who they're going to be fighting. I mean, it's kind of almost like uh, when they draw the, the seeds for the tournament for March Madness or, you know, a, a, a draft type thing. It was It's... It's entertaining stuff. The th- the thing about this though, right, is that if Usyk will not, if he did win, like what's the next step within the cruiserweight division? Do they do it again every year? Do they have a new tournament every year, like they do in um, kickboxing with K1? I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of Usyk, what the next step is for him, and a fight with a guy in England who's got a big fan base. You could probably definitely sell out an arena there. Um, you know, it, it seems like a good payday for someone who's just fought every other top cruiserweight that he could fight up to this point. And I'm not one of the people that wants to see him, you know, go right away into a fight with, like, a, a, a top, top heavyweight because, uh, A, I, don't, I think it would not be as, as competitive, and I just don't think it would be uh, – 
in his interest. It just wouldn't be fair to him to jump up so much weight. No. It's got to be gradual, you know. Like, well, I don't know how much he cuts to get to where he is. I'd be curious to know that, you know. But he looked in tip-top condition, man, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I met him at the Lomachenko fight, and um, he was slim. You know, he's, hmm. he's about the same height as me. I'm about 6'4", maybe a little bit shorter than me. But I, I, I don't think he was anything – I think he was less than 220 pounds, personally. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe you should get with Holyfield and uh, talk about how to move up and <laughs> get, get, you right. know, uh, get up to 215. You know, Holy was never that big, you know, you know, like he wasn't like one of these super heavyweights and, and he competed pretty well. So, you know, I, I'd be curious to see, you know, and he, I don't think Usyk will add like a ton of bulk the way Holy did, you know, who's really what he was a 175 in the Olympics uh, and then, yeah. you know, moved all the way to heavy eventually. Uh, I, I don't think he'll have to do like that, but I think he's got to find that balance where he's not giving up his speed, which is a clear, you know, and that athleticism, which is a clear, um, uh, you know, advantage for him because he's not, Absolutely. I don't think, he clearly, sorry, go ahead. Oh, he's just not, he's not a big puncher. No. And he clearly likes the box from the outside, which I think obviously is a, a, a big task for him to do successfully against somebody like Joshua, who's just so big. Or, or like a Tyson Fury. I mean, in terms of the weight, Deontay, what did he weigh, 216 or, sorry, 214 or something his last fight? And he yeah. was even saying that he'd consider moving down to cruiserweight. I don't know if that's a possibility, but I just think that given who's out there and in terms of likelihood of getting a victory, the, the, the fight with, with uh, Tony Bellews does seem to make sense from a financial yeah. standpoint. Yeah, no question. Uh, I think that. Um, sorry, I'm actually switching switching headsets here. Uh, uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I think it's time to get paid, though. You know, and I think absolutely. You know, maybe maybe you open that bracket back up by uh, he abandons those belts, moves to heavyweight, and then you've got yourself a whole other tournament. You know, uh, yet again the next year. You know, season season three because they've obviously they picked season two where they're going to go. Uh, just switching gears, what did you think of did, – did you see the HBO fights? I did. Um, you know, it's unfortunate because I have HBO Go. Um, I don't have HBO through my – well, I don't have a satellite or cable anymore. I have YouTube TV, so you can't really get it through that. But uh, So I had to, you know, figure out another way to watch it. But I did. And um, – I thought it was a good performance by by Mungia. Uh Liam Smith is a good tough fighter. I think his only other loss was to Canelo, right? So I I, I right. wasn't I wasn't one of the people who thought it was just going to be a blowout. I always thought that Saddam Ali was too small for 154 pounds and really didn't have uh the kind of punch to keep somebody strong off of him. So I, I thought it was a good, hard performance. He clearly needs to work on things, but he's 21 years old, so I don't want to be too critical, you know, but I thought it was a good performance. How about you? Yeah, I, th- I think the kid, and he even said, I'm, I'm very green, you know, but I, I'm i glad that he's with Robert Alcazar because Alcazar, I think, could teach him some technical things because he clearly needs to learn some technical things. He, uh, It was just a lot of... Uh, it was a lot of frustration watching his technique 
the uppercut Absolutely. from like way too far out. He missed so much wide. I was like, if Liam Smith hadn't been off so long, and I think he even mentioned this, that he felt he was used to fighting so often and he hadn't fought in a long time that he didn't get a second wind. He's like you used to used to getting like more energized as a fight goes on when he has a lot more activity. And because he didn't uh, instead, what he ended up doing was just getting more and more tired. Although the body shots probably had something to do with it, but there was so many mistakes and holes in, in the defense of Mangia, if you could even call it defense, because he seems to block shots with his face. A lot of times uh, I, I think, you know, it, he should not have been in with triple G. I think they made a great, choice there to, to let the kid develop, get some seasoning, get himself a belt. Um, it might even be a little soon for him to get the belt, but you know, you, you strike when opportunity is there. So I think it, it was good to move him in there, but I, you know, I, I don't know what Max Kellerman was talking about in terms of uh, comparing him to Mike Tyson and then later to Arturo Gotti. I mean, maybe in the amount of flush shots to the face he takes, he's kind of like Arturo Gotti, but uh, he doesn't have the eraser. I don't think that, that all of a sudden turns everything around. It was a, perfectly placed shot in the sixth round that uh, to the temple of uh, Liam Smith, you know, it was a nice counter shot. Smith didn't get his guard back in time and, and got put down, but he recovered. I, I thought it would be a, um, a, like a one knockdown fight and a decision win for uh, Mungia. So I was, uh, Smith is exactly what he needs is a, a guy with not a lot of power, but good technique. Who's going to show you where all your problems are and give you that, ex- that 12 round experience, which is what the kid needs, you know? Yeah, he got his 12 rounds in, and I think what he needs to do a lot is focus on not making everything a power shot. He load up on almost everything. He's like everything had to be a home run, where he needs to set up shots with faster shots, blinding shots, obviously use the jab more, and then, you know, end the combination with a hard shot as opposed to just throwing everything with, with so much power and aggression and, like you said, just lack of technique. But I think, look, he's 21 years old. He's got, he's got time. I just don't know whether the title, as you said, is, is going to be a, a good thing for him necessarily. I don't see him beating Jared Hurd or Jamel Charlo. How about you? Yeah, no. I, well, I think, you know, Hurd and him would be a really good fight, but the kid's defense is so leaky, I think Hurd would get to him sooner rather than later, and uh, Charlo would just tear him apart. But, you know, luckily he's got a belt, so none of those guys, neither of those guys are going to be as mandatory. So, no. you know, right now it's like when is a belt a shield when the guy holding it is too green, you know. And so, you know, the number two guy after Liam Smith is Dennis Hogan. Number three is Julian Williams. Um, then Brandon Cook and Takashi Anui, you know, is, is number five. So uh, the, the, I, I don't think that uh, – I, I think they're in a good position with that belt. You know, those are guys yeah, that they can all be winnable fights for sure. Yeah, 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 no question. So, you know, I expect him to be in some action fights, but you know, it may be a short career if they don't fix the the, the glaring weakness, which is uh, terrible defense, just absolutely terrible. Do you think he's defense. got the right trainer to do that? I, you know, I, I don't know. I was, listens. Yeah, I mean, Alcazar was with Oscar for a long time, and I I would say Oscar had pretty good good defense. I mean, he went through a lot of trainers, but uh, some would say that Alcazar was a, was a lot of the foundation. Um, so, you know, I would like to see him work on his jab more and, and getting those, those gloves up. There's no reason to have your gloves down unless you've got a great shoulder roll, great speed and defenses, you know, unless you're Floyd, uh, put your hands up, you know, or James Tony. 
because this kid was, it was like, there's no reason that, to do that. You're also kind of killing your power when you do that. You know, you're kind of fighting against your body and traveling uh, a distance that you don't need to. Those few inches make all the difference sometimes. Keeping your gloves right at your chin and coming up. Maybe that's what Max thought was Tyson-like, but Max is just tripping. Either that or, or his uppercuts, uh, but they weren't really Tyson. That's because they were coming from too far. Look, I've met Max. Yeah. Um, he's a nice guy when you meet him. Uh, I I just don't know. You know, I've heard other people say this, and I tend to agree. I just don't know how much he follows the sport anymore. I mean, he's on first take. He's covering everything from basketball to the NFL to golf and baseball. And, you know, he he just can't necessarily – I don't – maybe he just doesn't have time to study these fighters before they they fight on 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 uh, on HBO. I was never the biggest fan of, of Larry Merchant. Uh but I had the sense that he did kind of his research before fights and, you know, knew things about about their fighting style and their strengths and weaknesses. Guys like Al Bernstein definitely did or do. I mean, before their fights, they always kind of mention these type of things, and you could tell that they've watched the fighters. Oftentimes with Max, I just think he comes into these fights with the broadcast with like a narrative, and regardless of what happens, he kind of just sticks to that narrative or makes like adjustments to the narrative as opposed to what's actually going on in, in, in the ring. And, you know, Larry used to do that. He would, he would give a narrative, you know, like his final word before the first bell. But I always got the sense that his narrative was based on watching tape and knowing who the fighters were. And, and, you know, and, and he wouldn't keep trying to hammer the fight back into his narrative, you know, unless the narrative really was, was on point and he could kind of point back to it. You're right. Like with Max, it's like, I don't know. Like I, I always remember watching uh, the, the career of Trinidad on HBO versus the career of Trinidad on Showtime. And it was almost like to the HBO crew that the Showtime fights hadn't happened. You know, like they, they didn't have that wealth of experience to draw from that. He gets knocked down a lot. Like they'd mention it, but like they wouldn't be able to point to the fights. So I, I wonder how much tape, you know, for the amount of money that they're probably making, you would think they would spend some time watching some tape. I know I, I watch tape, you know, as much as I can. I watched Mensa's fight. It was like the only fight I could find, but I wanted to know what he was about before I got on the air to talk about him. Uh, and, you know, uh, th- that fight needed to stop after the fourth round, as far as I was concerned, because the guy doesn't have an eraser. And uh, he was, you know, dropped in the first round, badly hurt in the fourth. You know, if there had been 30 more seconds, you might have stopped that fight. But he fought like a concussed fighter, as far as I was concerned, the rest of the fight. And Machado couldn't put him away, and it was just kind of painful to watch. Actually. It was one of the fights as a boxing fan that you really don't enjoy watching. And you yeah. definitely don't enjoy watching if you've ever been in the ring, even even in terms of sparring. Because you know how much pain the guy was going through and how much, you know, essentially how much damage he was taking. And to keep doing that over and over again, round after round, it was very disheartening to watch. Uh, Gabe, I've been meaning to ask you, you, you haven't been the biggest fan of Mark Kriegel on um, on ESPN. Uh, no. The thing with both him and Max Kellerman, they're both New York City products. They both went to specialized high schools, which here in New York City are like the, you know, the, the special public schools are like the academically gifted. And I actually teach in one of those schools, but, you know, they, you're talking about a student population and an alumni group that's very opinionated and usually very well-read, um, very academically oriented, obviously. 
they have that in common. But um, I'll be honest with you. I've been, I've been, I think that Mark Kriegel's been doing a better job, at least presently, than Max Kellerman has done at, of recent. I, I don't know what you think about it. I, I would agree with that. You know, he's not. To me, what bothers me is that he doesn't defer to Tim Bradley enough. Like he doesn't. He'll argue with him, and I, I guess there's something about me for some reason. I'm just like. Tim is one of the most battle-tested fighters there is and, you know, fairly well-decorated guy, probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And listening to Mark disagree with him kind of bothers me. But at the same time, I I kind of have to take my medicine because for years I've said what's wrong with HBO is that Max Kellerman's not actually a reporter that's covered the beat. And Mark is. He's a very, very talented writer. Yeah, he's yeah, a talented absolutely. writer, and he knows knows the gyms, knows the trainers, knows the fighters, watches the sparring. So, you know, sometimes he just talks too much, you know, but I talk too much. So, you know, it, yeah, it is what it is. Much. And I'll be <laughs> honest with you, to me, that, that, is, that can be entertaining. I remember when I was a kid, and um, Larry Merchant used to argue with George Foreman during HBO broadcasts. Like, they'd actually get into real arguments on the air. And that was always something that was kind of entertaining to me. I mean, Tim Bradley doesn't really push the issue and kind of clap back at him. But uh, I remember George Foreman definitely did with Larry Merchant. I used to love that. Yeah. yeah it, you know, he'd pull rank on him. Yeah, you weren't a fighter. But it's, you know, I, I think you know, Larry was a, you know, was a real reporter, an award-winning journalist that, that uh, I think he even invested in or helped, helped fighters out. I mean, it was Joe Frazier maybe, or uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Steve had mentioned it, and and uh, you know he he was a real dude. He wasn't just, um, a kid with a UFH or you you know uh, whatever you know public access show. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen Max at the gym when I was in LA. You know, um, it's kind of my he criticism was out of there doing radio, right? Because he was out there doing radio for a while. Yeah, and I you know maybe I missed him. But, uh, you know, it was always kind of my thing with Dan Raphael, although I think Dan watches a ton of tape, you know. The, the guy's yeah. not unknowledgeable about fights, uh, you know. But, you know, with Max, I just, yeah, there's something kind of missing for me. And, and also just the, the, the history shtick. I think it's very important to know your history. But not everybody reminds you of somebody. Some people are just who they are. You yeah, know? absolutely. Let them be who they and are. Let's be frank. He's not, he's not gaudy. And and he's not Tyson. He's his own guy. Yeah, and we haven't seen I mean, enough if, of him to know who he is. I mean, you know? if I were to compare compare him to anybody, and like you said, we necessarily shouldn't always try to make comparisons, but it would probably be Antonio Margarito before anybody else I could think of. It's and even then, there's him, like a lot of differences. Yeah, a little bit of Kirkland in that he goes all in with his offense and just goes straight to the yeah, deep end too. of the pool. You know, which is impressive, but scary. You know, if you're his backers, it's like, dude, you know, you could take a breath here and there and not just throw punches like constantly. Um, that that was who kind of reminded me of as I was watching him. It's like, yeah, this is the way James used to go in. You know, I'm just going to push you to the limit and see how, how well conditioned you are. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah. But I don't know about you. I just never really do that. While I'm watching a fight, I'm just watching the fight and not going, you know, who this guy reminds me of. It just doesn't. I get I get the sense a lot of times that you know they they kind of refer to the fighter meeting, you know sometimes during fights they're like oh, yeah well at the fighter meeting, you know X Y Z said this, 
And it, to me, uh, that might be the first and only time these guys get to see the fighters before they fight often, you know, on HBO. So they have that little meeting where one guy, the fighter's at one side of a long table, and you have, like, Jim Lampley, Max Kellerman, and Roy Jones at the other, and, like, they're asking their questions. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do, yeah. I, You know, it's... It's not, you know, primary data taken from the local gym or from past fights is what I'm saying. Right. And I was, you know, I was kind of like Jim Lampley's role. He kind of, you know, as long as he's been in boxing, like 30 years or whatever, uh, he always plays the neophyte. He always kind of defers to the expert. And I feel like HBO is missing that expert, you know. I mean, Roy, actually, Roy has grown on me over the years. I, I kind of enjoy him. I mean, he, he kind of cracks me up sometimes. And very few people are as uh, able to just look at what the fighters are going through and go, oh, that guy's tired. Or, oh, I see that opening, and this is what's going to happen, and then it happens. He's pretty good at that, you know, uh, whereas Max He does a great like, job at that. Yeah, um, Max just is like the guy I would say, dude, you know, stop talking so much for whatever he's at my house watching the fights. It was always disappointing to me that, that uh, the failed drugs test caused Tarver to lose his, his kind of position as a commentator because <laughs> from the moment yeah. he started, I thought that he was one of the best. I, I love to remember him, him, but oh yeah, yeah, he was yeah. he was great ringside. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I, I was, actually, I, I I was the one that broke that uh, that positive. Although I imagine it would have come out through the commission, but uh, I was so that was the one that spawned the uh, the dead horse hashtag to uh, Kevin Ioli, who the day before was berating me for beating a dead horse with PEDs, and then the next day I just said, well, here you go, here's another one, uh, and I always feel bad about it because uh, I yeah, forgot about that, man. <laughs> Tarver, uh, Tarver, uh, you know, immediately lost his gig, and you know, you can't help but feel a little bit responsible for that. And and you know, it it uh, although you know there was athletes ultimately responsible for what goes in his body, and it happened to him twice, you know. But you know, and he's also one of the great redemption stories of coming from being an you know an addict to becoming a world champion. Who, yeah, you know, I think he's a class guy, and I. I don't know. He actually recently followed me on Twitter randomly. I don't, I'm not sure why. Uh, cool, maybe man. I'll reach out and try to get him on the show. And uh, out of all the people, out of all the stories I broke uh, in that little period, he was the one that I didn't, you know, I tried, uh, but, but it just didn't work out. So I wonder if I, I could. I saw you know, him doing this that. thing on YouTube with uh, James Tony, where they were just kind of going back and forth about stuff. And it was very entertaining. The guy's just very charismatic, knowledgeable. Um, you know, he's meant to be in front of the camera. He just kind of has that disposition and, and aura about him. He's good in the Rocky movie, you know, Mason Dixon. Absolutely. Yeah, I was very impressed. I was like, you know, that it's not easy to do that and be and to be in that kind of franchise, you know, and and uh, and to step in and and uh, among all those iconic characters and and to fit right in. I loved it, and, and the fact that his character had the chip on his shoulder. He was born to play that part. It was great. No, and coming you know, from an actor, that's a that's a big a big compliment. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I I, uh, I dig him. Did you Did you discuss the Dillian White fight yet? Before I called. I haven't. I haven't actually, Dave. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm a little worried about him. I, I haven't heard from him. Uh, so I kind of just started okay. filibustering on the uh, the Oleg. Uh, you know, the Alexander Usyk fight. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we could we could get into it, man. I mean, this is kind of an impromptu uh, co-hosting, but. Uh, I, you're kind of saving my bacon, so we can talk about it if you want. 
no, no, I'm happy to be on. No, I yeah. just, uh, to be honest, I'm very excited about the fight. Um, I, to, I haven't looked in to see who's showing it here in the U.S., but given two real things here, they both obviously want to return to heavyweight glory and, and fight uh, Joshua again. Um, you know, Dillian has the excuse of uh, of having a bad shoulder going into that fight, and Parker has the excuse of, you know, a bad referee. I think there's – I'm not going to blame – their losses on those two factors, obviously, but I'm reasonable enough to say that they probably contributed to a, at least a small por- portion of the reason they lost. And um, Dillian's coming off that big knockout. Parker's coming off of the the, the decision loss. Uh, I, I enjoy watching both of these fighters. I actually went to grad school in London and, and lived in the neighborhood that Dillian's from and know where he worked out, his brother, him, and you know, I met them a couple times and stuff. He—he's the real deal, man. Um, everything you see him say on on TV or in these interviews—that's who he is. Like he walks his talk, you know, and he—he he talks his walk. So, you know, I—he's—he's going to give a good performance on Saturday. And I'm I'm excited about. It. I just am interested to see whether or not uh, Parker's going to be able to keep him off of him and kind of outbox him. Um, Speaking of inability to make adjustments, I I felt that Parker really needed to make more adjustments against Joshua. Um, you know, I'm I'm interested essentially to see where, where this style matchup goes. What are you thinking about it? I I, I like the fight. I like that uh, you know both guys are invo- enrolled in most of the fights this weekend. Everybody's in Nevada program, uh, mm-hmm. which is nice that we we kind of know that. Uh, I don't know if the fights themselves are being tested and you know there's some holes in that clean boxing program like giant ones because guys aren't you know it's sort of like the UCAD says oh we test year round but you know you, you ultimately it's only like like you know five percent of the guys five to ten percent of the guys are actually getting tested so you know that means you know maybe the big guys are getting tested once a year but uh you know the fight it's so even they're both close records Parker's 24-1 uh you know 24 wins one loss uh never been stopped 18 KOs uh, White has been stopped once. That's his only loss. Uh, 23 wins, 17 KOs. Like you say, he's coming off that big, big uh, knockout win over uh, Lucas Brown, which was the horrific beating of an uh, ex bouncer. Uh, you know, he yeah. didn't look in great shape. So it's like, well, how much can you make of it? But, you know, you're coming off of momentum like that. And I thought White looked very good in the fight. I've had guys kind of trash me for liking him. I, I think he's, he's kind of a dark horse, he's kind of an X factor. Uh, he's a tough guy. What's not to like, like about him? Yeah, he's you an know? exciting heavyweight fighter. <laughs> what, what, Absolutely. Why he's, yeah. I've, have you ever seen him in a bad fight? I haven't. I mean, the Tesora no. fight was one of the best fights of that year. Um, he gave Anthony Joshua the most exciting fight I've seen Anthony Joshua in. And yeah. he did that with a bad shoulder. You know what I mean? Um, I've never seen the dude in a bad fight. And they're evenly and, matched, and outside, you know, six four. Yeah, absolutely. Age wise, experience wise, I think um, White might be a little bit bigger than Parker, at least in terms of weight. Um, but I mean, it, it's a very even fight. It's the type of fight every boxing fan should like—one where you don't know the outcome and you're kind of, you know, struggling to visualize how it's going to go. Yeah, I, I actually haven't made a pick. I. I uh... I lean towards White just because he's on a, on the winning streak. But then, you know, there's the chip on the shoulder factor from Parker, who's 
had a taste of being a champion and, and really didn't have to get the whole meal. You know, it was a very short reign uh, and he wants to get back to that spot. So I tend to think that White's the bigger puncher, uh, but that be the better boxer. But I think only in terms of his wheels, I think his defense is a little leaky at times and, and kind of, you know, uh, limited. He doesn't have like everything, you know? Uh, so in terms of the, all the punches, uh, the whole arsenal. So I'm, I'm very curious to see, uh, where he goes, you know, how he approaches this fight. Uh, I know what White's going to do is be aggressive and, and get in there. And, there, you know, it's, the, the jab's going to be huge. Who establishes it um, and who's, who can take whose power? I mean, we know Parker has been in there with a big puncher uh, and was able to, you know, able to last. So uh, And has never been down. Yeah. So he's kind of passed that test going into this fight, I, I'm, you know, Whereas White has been stopped before, so I'm I'm curious, you know, uh, what? Uh, but you know, he's also he and he got stopped by the same guy. So like you said, you know, he wasn't all of himself there. So it's just a toss-up matchup. I I can't wait to see it, and you know, I I think it's going to only be in America available on the radio. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll have That's to. Yeah, yeah. You know, HBO could have picked up this fight. Shows that just not they're not that excited about boxing in general. I, you know, I don't I don't know. You know, I, I just don't I, I I just don't understand HBO's moves, man. Um, you know, I've complained about the lack of the streaming capability with HBO Go um, and HBO Now, but why even pick up the Lucas Brown Dillian White fight if you're not going to show the this fight? You know, is it that? Yeah. I, what was why 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 do it? I just don't get that. Yeah, well, I, you know, and, and maybe they were thinking that they would pick up this fight, but now that the merger has happened, right, uh, the AT&T Time Warner thing, you know, there's a new guy, uh, I think his last name is Stanky, which is really great. Um, he's now kind of running the shop, and, you know, it, it sounds like there's going to be all kinds of stuff happening. I, I would be surprised if they don't get a live streaming uh, capability in their app within the next year. See if they're interested in boxing, we'll see, you know, um if uh you know if if you know if they want to be in this business that they kind of started, you know, cable boxing. Um I I'm wondering how much it is yeah, that that's I mean, you know, on T V, Select T V and then HBO, that's the beginning of it all. And uh I'm just be curious to see if they want to get in that business or they want to kind of compete with, because right now, I mean, you know, that's the one thing they do have over a Netflix, uh, you know, is, is uh, they've got some boxing, they've got some live sports. Uh, it's, it's, you know, few and far between to the point where I don't, I don't have HBO anymore. Um, I was doing the HBO now thing, but they didn't upgrade to their fights. You know, uh, the, you know, the fight didn't show up on Monday, you know, before the show. So it's like, well, what's the point of this? You know, uh, there's it just didn't. Uh, TV right now either, man. It's, uh, no. They've got this no. show called. Uh, um, shoot, I don't even remember the name of it. It's loosely based on like Rupert Murdoch and his family, Ascension, or it's about it. Um, it's their kind of I, King Lear, but set in the world of broadcasting, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's entertaining, but it's not anything that I'm going to be paying fifteen dollars a month. For uh, on its own, I mean, I pay less than that for my movie pass. Um, I'm, I'm just, 
I just I just don't know what, where where they're going with all this. What I'm guessing is that the zone would have picked up this fight had it been available to us. Um, yeah, obviously I, I would say so. Have you seen? Right. Uh, Sorry to bother you yet. Yeah, I did. I actually saw that yesterday. Funny enough, it took place in your in your neck of the woods in in, in Oakland. <laughs> I'll tell you. I saw it like a, about a week before it went into uh, worldwide release and, right. uh, or, you know, nationwide release. What the, one of my favorite things, and we'll, we'll save the spoilers cause it's, it's got so many great surprises in it that it's Absolutely. just, Oh my God. But one of my favorite things about it, and it's kind of a sad thing to be your favorite thing, but you'll notice the characters like walking down the street, talking in Oakland and behind them, there's these tents on the street. There's homeless people everywhere. Like maybe people that don't come to Oakland or don't know the area won't really notice it, but that's how it is. There's tent. There's people living in tents on the sidewalk, all in San Francisco, all through the Bay Area. All like when you get off the exit to go to Oakland, it's one of the most insane like encampments I've ever seen. It's it's not well, even that like. That wasn't staged for the movie. No, it was not that staged is... for the movie. It might have been like stolen shots or just like we're going to set up right here and shoot. And that's just the background because that's actually the world. And I thought that Juan was really Gonzal- amazing. Yeah, Juan Gonzalez on, on um, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. They were interviewing Boots Riley about the movie. Yeah, and I saw that. And why he shot in Oakland. It was a pretty good interview, actually. And he was just mentioning the fact that the, the locations were important to him. That like Oakland... Like the visuals of Oakland really set a good backdrop for the movie, and obviously that he get free places to shoot and new people that could be extras. You saw it. I thought it was a pre- pretty pretty interesting. But yeah, I thought it was. A I great love that movie. he said that. You know that my art comes from where I am. Yeah. You know, and it's, absolutely. You know, it's it's yeah. It was like he didn't he didn't attempt to kind of uh, whitewash the area and say, oh, we're making a movie, and so it's fantasy. Instead, he kind of heightened the world and, and then used what, what's actually there. It's, it's a brilliant movie. People really should see it. It's, and it's, took uh, a lot of risks in the movie, too. Um, oh, my God. I, I felt yeah. like that scene where he was, he was asked to rap and he didn't want to. And I'm not going to say shit. what ended up happening. But, I mean, just the tension in the movie theater during that scene was, uh, was palpable, to say the least. Oh, it, yeah. I mean it's a kind of movie that it's pretty rare because you know, movies, mainstream movies kind of suck these days uh, that my wife and I, who she, she, her background's in theater too. And, and it'd be like a week later, a couple weeks later. And, and, and we just turn to each other and bring up a part of the movie. You know, it, it was just uh, what I like about it, you know, and we'll get back to boxing here, but it's just yeah. that um, it shows that, like we people talk about diversity and and you know affirmative action and those kind of things ah you know you're forcing these other things on us but it shows that when there's too many of one thing in the room too many of of one point of view eventually ideas will just kind of like repeat themselves because it's just one pool of ideas but when you give a different group of people uh, you know a chance look at the best directors the mexican directors that have won you know the best actor or best director oscar the last few years and look at the films that they're putting out they're really different yeah, I mean, and they're they're a different even if they're like you know the revenant like a western uh you know type of film but it's a totally different kind of western 
that's the beauty of diversity of having a new type of you know a new person uh, a new ethnicity or a new nationality or what have you coming in with their own view of the world uh, that isn't so privileged or you know isn't from a specific school but you know has this whole other background this artist that plays in a, a pretty kick-ass band the coup uh makes his first feature film uh and he's got all these different you know sci-fi uh all these different elements that that come into the film it's it really is the power of diversity there that's what i took away from it one of the many things i took away from it diversity in Mm -hmm. cast diversity in backgrounds i mean um he had uh david cross was in there doing voiceover work (laughs) Patton oswalt was in there doing danny glover terry cruz um, yeah, he even had a a, a a rapper from the Bay Area. Um, oh, shoot, I'll make a make a cameo appearance. Uh, man, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. What's wrong with me? But yeah, I mean, it was a very diverse cast. Very diverse yeah. cast. Yeah, yeah, I was I was super impressed. And then Army Hammer, just bringing it. Uh, really funny, really scary. Uh, as the CEO, you know, uh, it was just. And especially to be talking about the tech industry in that way. Mr. Fab, sorry, in... Mr. Fab, that's his name. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. Please. Yeah, I'm not, sorry, I'm not the Fab. biggest rap head in the world. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just his point of view, all the things he's talking about were, were pretty prescient, pretty uh, on point, you know, uh, about the tech industry, about capitalism and just all of it. I was just like blown away. I, I definitely want to go see it again to, to, to support Especially it. Especially given yeah. what we've heard recently about Amazon and the way it treats its workers, you know? And oh, as man. somebody who has Prime, I never, I never really think about how my shit gets from the manufacturer to the factory to my door. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, like the human element in all of this. And long story short, people need to see this movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's just no question. It's it's uh, they support independent voices like that, you know, and uh, they did well over the weekend. So we made like 10 million or something, and you know, uh, it's already definitely a success. I'd like to see it reach like Get Out levels, you know. Uh, not that it's like Get Out, although you know, uh, in the sense that it's it's a new voice getting a chance to to speak to things in the world that that nobody else really speaks to. I would say it, it's kind of similar in in that regard, but. Uh, I just I just want to see more you know diverse voices, more people of color getting in there, you know, and and get, getting their chance, and not being kind of pigeonholed by what the industry thinks they should be saying, you know. No, so. absolutely. Well, man, this absolutely. has been good. Stuff. I've been uh, I've been kind of co-opting you. Uh, I got another caller on the line, and then I'm going to wrap up because I got a party to go to. But uh, it's been really All great right, to perfect. catch up, man. You too, uh, Gabe. Really... Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate talking to you. Hey, my pleasure. Always. I'll talk and, to you. And man. hopefully I'll get to hear your your uh pick for the uh Easter um Mikey oh, Garcia shit. fight. Who do you have in that? I but we could do that really quick. I've got Mike I've got Mikey Garcia. Um I think we'll go late rounds. Um I just think his boxing ability is gonna be too much uh for, for Easter. Who's a good fighter but just not on the level of, of, of Mikey Garcia, that's my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. He doesn't fight tall, you know, he's no. kind of like Paul Williams like that. And I don't think he's got the power, you know, if he's going to struggle with a, with a Comey, uh, I think he's going to really struggle with a Mikey Garcia. Who's got a insane ring IQ. I only, I worry about Mikey moving up and down in weight 
if that's going to affect about to him. I say but... the weight cut is the only issue, really. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably going to be picking Mikey. I, I just haven't fully thought it out yet. So we'll see. I'll probably be, uh, you know, thinking out loud here later in the show. So. <laughs> All, All right, man. man. Good to catch up with you, Gabe. You enjoy the rest of your evening. You too. I'll talk to you. All right. All take right. care, brother. Take care. Bye. Peace. Uh, and we got another caller on the line. It's been really patient for about 30 minutes. Uh, and that was Emil Carr, one of our longtime callers for the next round. Uh, and uh, one of the guys that would email me uh, in, the, in the days when I was writing for Max Boxing, uh, writing, uh, I took over Dougie's mailbag and started writing uh, Montoya's Monday mailbag and, and Friday mailbag. Emil Carr uh, has been a, just a, a great supporter uh, all this time, one of my favorite callers, a really intelligent guy. Um, but let's let's jump to five one zero. You've been really patient. You're live on Leave It in the Ring. Hey Gabe, this is uh, Fernando here in Richmond. How you doing? I knew it. What's up, Fernando? How you doing, man? <laughs> Good, man. I used to write you letters too at Max Boxing. I remember when you took over from Dougie also. So that was a long time ago. I used to go by uh, Big Daddy to write oh. like, uh, letters into the. Mm-hmm. That's long hilarious. Time ago. Okay. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate yeah. the long time support, man. It's uh it's been, been a long, strange journey, right, as they say. So yeah, what's, what's, uh, uh, what's that? Oh, nothing, nothing. I'm listening. Oh, can I make one, <laughs> uh, another movie recommendation? I like the the one you guys are giving out about, about uh, the movie you guys are talking about. Another great movie that's come out this week also from uh, out of Oakland is uh, Blind Spotting. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh, with, yeah, I can't wait to see uh, it. Diggs. Yeah, I think yeah. it's out this week. I think it's going to be coming out this week, and that one looks really good, too. So, yeah, I heard a review of it yesterday. I, I was pretty. Yeah. Uh, I, I will. I will check that one out. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'd love to see the Bay Area is coming up from uh, Black Panther, which I thought was great. You know, just the way the way they framed what Oakland is. Uh, you know, to Wakanda. Uh, you know, kind of this paradise versus paradise lost. Uh, you know, and now now this. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I saw a great documentary uh, last week too called King uh, by a director Eugene Janecki. Uh, did a great movie on the drug war called the house I live in. And his premise is Mm. that America is kind of in its fat Elvis stage. And so he, (laughs) he talks about like the whole life of Elvis, like the arc of his career and kind of the, the shortcomings of it in some ways uh, against the backdrop of kind of, of America and where we are uh, in this current moment. Um, And he filmed it all like 2015 to like 2016 uh, up until the, uh, uh, the election, the, the current president. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. If you like documentaries, it's a little depressing. But what he does is he buys Elvis's Rolls Royce and drives it across America and has different people get in it as he makes the trek uh, all the way to New York and then all the way back to Las Vegas where they end. It's it's pretty amazing documentary. But uh, yeah. in terms of boxing, what's on your mind, my friend? Well, one, one last thing on, just on, on drugs, right? You know, with immigration oh, and everything. I, yeah. I think people don't, don't take account for that, how much we – us as Americans have destabilized Central America with all the drug purchases we do up here. You know, we're the ones destroying those governments, making them weak, and making these people that can't can't be helped by the government that they, they come over here as as refugees. You know, from the war on drugs that, we, that we've uh, allowed to go on in their countries. You know, Salvador, uh, all the countries down in Mexico. You know, and yeah, the, dr- you know, the drugs come up and the guns come down to, from here to there. They buy the guns and take them down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they buy U.S. guns and the money. Yeah, nobody else. Uh, we, we we buy more cocaine uh, than anybody else, more heroin than anybody else. It's we're financing it, it, the thugs that have destabilized every government down there. 
You know, we're the ones financing every thug, uh, every cartel, every gangster down there. We're the ones financing that whole thing, you know. And these innocent people that get caught in the middle, they have nowhere to go. Nobody wants to come up here. You know, they've all rather live in their home and stay down there and have a job and have a happy life. But it's so bad over there that they have no choice. They, they, they risk everything for, for a chance to, you know, take, to save their kids, you know. And people don't take, don't, don't take account of that, you know. They just think, oh, you know, they're just coming up here to take our jobs. No, they're scared. For the, they're running for their lives, you know. Nobody wants to leave their homes. Nobody wants to leave their family behind. You know, it's just it's, Who would it's want humanity, to? man. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah, no, that's, that's the absolute you know? truth, Fernando. It, it, uh, yeah. I was listening to a thing today uh, on a podcast, and they were talking about – it was uh, Cy Hirsch, Seymour Hirsch, who's a, a famous reporter. He's the one that uh, uncovered the My Lai Massacre and Abu Ghraib. Um, and he just came out with a, a book about his life, a memoir called Reporter. And he said the biggest, one of the biggest problems with uh, U.S. media that they could change is if they talked about stories in a world sense, as opposed to just talking about how it affects the United States, but how things affect everybody. Like you're saying, you can't talk about immigration without talking about, you know, going back to Henry Kissinger, uh, you know, even further back. I mean, the, the, the founding fathers used to refer to Central and South America as our little backyard to the south. Um, that they could exactly. just do whatever they wanted there. After, you know, after you've, you've committed a genocide of the American Indians, I mean, I guess you would look at other brown people the same way. And you have, you know, a bunch of black people enslaved. You're going to look at all those other people as, oh, what can we do down there? And Kissinger was destabilized most of Central and South America. It's only been in the last, you know, I think decade that uh, a lot of it is, has started to become under its own control. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, there was a precipitation. Our government, our government, our government. I don't know if you ever uh, have you ever heard of the College of the Americas. They're, they're, we have trained yes. assassins that we send down there to destabilize the government. Yeah, we, we train people to go down there. It's called the College of the Americas. Yeah, we train them to go over there and kill people, assassinate people, whatever is in our best interest. You know, and it's just you know people don't understand it. It's, you know, they look at the Fox News and they only get one perspective. You know, not to say the Fox even, News is completely lying. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well Fox News isn't really even journalism, you know. Uh, but no, even our, our side, too, you know, uh, the Hillary Clinton, you know, that that and uh, Obama administration, they were Debbie Wasserman, uh, Debbie, Debbie Wasserman, they both conspired to make sure she would win. That turned me out. Honestly, when I voted, I voted. Uh, I forgot who I, I voted for some Green Party lady, you know. I didn't vote for Democrats. I, I definitely didn't vote for the Republicans. But I, I was disgusted by the whole thing with the uh, with Bernie. You know, they, they they try to rig the elections to make sure that Hillary Clinton got elected. You know, and that was that, well, and that even, was a big uh, turn off for me. The, the coup in uh, Honduras that was that was that you know the last administration that wasn't the Trump administration, and it it is you know it's it's a it's a scary thing where we're at. You know, uh, both sides it, it is you know the, the classic lesser of two evils, and you just go I, I don't know what to do. I I went I, the, I, the first time this is mm-hmm. the first Clinton I voted for. I didn't vote for Bill. Uh, either time. Uh, I've always been an independent voter. I didn't vote for Obama either time. Uh, but this time I was like, well, and even though we were in California, I, I went with Clinton. I was like, I don't know. You know, our vote doesn't almost doesn't count in California. Uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of counted last. Electoral but, college. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a shot. And I was sorely disappointed, you know? Uh, but uh, I think the you best know, thing we could do as Americans is stop treating our, uh, our parties, like their, our football team, you know, be a hardcore Republican or hardcore Democrat or what have you, instead be open-minded, you know, to discussion, debate. And, uh, you know, that's where they get people. You know, they sell you a bill of goods 
you know, they, they, they try to scare people, you know, with the immigration and all, all these different things. They try to turn us against each other. And that's how they control the population. You know, they don't, they don't give you any facts. Anything, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, it's entertainment. It's on television. It has commercials. It's a commercial enterprise. It's, it's entertainment. They're not giving you the facts. They're not digging deep into anything, you know. So anything you see on, basically anything you see on TV is entertainment, you know. You watch CNN, rarely do you see anything that digs deep or points fingers at any one person, you know. And so, you know anyway. All that panel oh, stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. all that panel Talking stuff, heads. you know, yeah, uh, but it started to be like ESPN, you know, guys arguing with each other. It's like, pardon the interruption, but it's like, you know, I just stopped watching all that stuff. You know, uh, I watch Democracy Now!, I read a lot, uh, I try to follow journalists and, and follow issues, uh, but I can't, all that stuff does is rile people up, you know? Um, exactly. It, just scares, it scares people, you know? It scares the older population, which tends to be white, you know? That's, that's what they're trying, you know, that's what we tend to vote also, are older white people, you know? And they're usually well, manipulated uh, and they're usually scared, you know? And, and I, I hear that, I, I don't know the data on this, but I've heard that people as they get older, particularly men, become more, they start to lean more towards conservatism uh, because mm-hmm. of fear of death or, or, you know, you're getting to the end of your life or uh, you're starting to... to they have, fear, they have money. a fear of change. Yeah, they have a fear of sure. change, you know? Sure, Yeah. It's, it's, it's natural. You know, I'm in my 40s, and I'm, I'm already happy. You know, I'm already looking at the younger generation, like, there's a bunch of lazy kids, right? And I'm only, like, one generation removed from them, you know? They're my kids, you know? And I already look at them, like, you know, they're screwed up, you know? So it, it's just, it's human nature. It's human nature. So. Um, yeah. Anyways, I'm really, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm no worries. It. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm really, <laughs> going back to HBO, too, I got the HBO, because I'm a cord, I've been a cord cutter since, like, uh, 2010, around then. And uh, right? I got the Apple TV. Yeah, I've been I've been a cord cutter for a long time. Part of it was out of necessity for a while there. I wasn't really working. The economy was really bad, you know. So I just cut off my cable and, you know, try to, you know, shrink my uh, expenses. And I just never went back to cable. It was just, you know, I felt like I was paying $200 for commercials, you know. Basically, that's, when I go to my parents, when I go to their house and they're watching cable, it's like, man, nothing but commercials. You're, like, paying a big fat bill for the right to watch commercials, it feels like. So I, I've never gone back, you know. But, um... And yeah. I got the, hello, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I got the headphones. I wonder if they sometimes they die on me. The little AirPods. And uh, <laughs> I got the HBO, HBO now, now app. You know, thing I subscribed to it like a couple weeks ago. And you know, you can't watch the fights on there, man. I wanted to watch the Munguia fight. No, nope, good luck. You know, kick rocks, man. You know, I didn't get to watch it. You know, I still haven't watched it. You know, so like I'm I'm ready to cut them off at the end of the month too. I got the the trial subscription to HBO, and it's cool. I watch like The Wire again. I watch The Sopranos again and stuff like that. But other than that, maybe Game of Thrones next year, but the boxing, where's the boxing at? I'm not getting it. The Showtime, they show it live on their app. You know, if you subscribe to them, they'll, they'll show it on there. The HBO. Yeah, we have um, Amazon Prime, so I, I get I get my Showtime through Amazon Prime, you know. Um, HBO I think, is, too. I think yeah. Hulu offers it, too. Yeah. Oh, do they really? Yeah. 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 Hulu has, you, can, you get Showtime through Hulu also. And, uh. But I don't know what's going on HBO. Honestly, I think I think they're not they're, they're slowly backing out of the 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 live sports. You know, they want to be more like Netflix. They, they consider that to be their their competition. And Netflix doesn't have any sports, right? They don't have any live sports. You know, they had, so maybe that's maybe that's their game plan. You know, not necessarily to go after ESPN, which would be a losing battle. They want to go after Netflix. Maybe I, don't, I have no idea. But well, you look HBO, at the whole man, field. That that's changed because I, I really think that they were cutting costs 
while they're waiting for this merger to happen. And now the merger's happened with AT&T, Time Warner. And so, but you look at how much everything's changed. You've got DAZN, who's like signing fighters left and right. You had the whole PBC thing going on where Al had all these guys and they weren't going to be on HBO unless, you know, a fight had to happen as a mandatory or it was like super lucrative for them to do so. And so like what was left for HBO, you know, and then now ESPN and ESPN plus they're you know, and they're making a deal with top rank and top ranks like we're not on HBO anymore. So what's really left for them? You know, they're going to have to really spend money to get back in the game. And I'm, I'm not sure if they're willing to do that, but I think we'll find out the next year if they really want to be in or not. And, you know, I think they're going to cha- make some changes. And like I was telling Amilcar, I, I think they're probably going to get into streaming. I don't see how you could not get into live streaming, you know? Uh, so we'll see. Yeah. Um, another thing that was interesting about the time, I know you got to go. Just one last thing about Time Warner. I know you weren't ever interested, but I was. Time Warner, when they, when they bought into, uh, into Turner, right, so TNT, TBS, and all that, part of the deal was for them to get rid of WCW, get rid of the wrestling. That's what killed wrestling at, at, for uh, TNT. The WCW got killed not because of their ratings, not because of anything. The, the executives did not want to deal with the, the talent they didn't, uh, from, from Time Warner. So as part of the deal, they had to get rid of uh, WCW with the wrestling. So I'm wondering if that's another thing that the Time Warner is doing here with HBO. Like, hey, we don't want to manage these people. It's a kind of a pain in the ass to be putting these fights together. Uh, they're inconsistent product, you know, you know, you know, as opposed to a movie or, or a television show, which you need to watch over and over, and you know what you're reading, what you pay for is what you get, right? With the, with the fight, sometimes you might pay $3 million for a fight, and it turns out to be a dud, you know? And just putting them together is also a pain in the ass, right? You know? So I'm wondering if Time Warner's going to be able to, you know, just like they did to, to Turner, TBS, when they bought, bought them out, they made them give it a wrestling, you know? And I wonder if that's what they're going with uh, on HBO also. You know, back in the early 2000s when that happened. But I wonder if that's a component of it also. You know, they don't want to deal with the, with the managers, the fighters, uh, the egos, and the inconsistent product, product, you know, and the cops. But that's what killed uh, EA Sports Fight Night. I, I remember talking to an executive there, and I was like, is there ever going to be another game? And he's like, it's just too damn hard. Everybody wants a million dollars for their likeness. You got to go through each guy. It's not like with the NFL where you you're dealing with the mm-hmm. you know uh, the media department or whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, and and then there's like you know what, probably the the you know the the athletes are probably getting ripped off big time, uh, considering mm-hmm. how popular you know Madden is. Uh, they're probably not all getting compensated for that. But uh, you know, with the boxers, um, it's just too hard, so they just stop doing it. You know, and the UFC. Notice that game keeps coming out. It's because they're dealing with one company, one league. Uh, boxing is just not fighters, like that. When they sign a, I don't know if you knew this, but when those contracts, when they, when those fighters sign a contract with UFC, they they give away their lifetime rights to their image. Like, that's part of the contract. Like, that's an automatic part of the contract. So they have to give a lot, uh, in perpetuity their images. Their images belong to the UFC. So you know. That's that's. They're, 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 yeah, the UFC is way too the other side, man. I know boxing gets as bad a reputation, maybe earned, you know, for being corrupt. But how could the UFC not be corrupt when one guy's calling all the shots? He's like the Donald Trump of of, uh, of fighting, <laughs> you know, of combat sports, yeah. you know, well, uh, Dana White, he su- right? He fucked yeah, everybody. he supported him. You know, doesn't pay he anybody. Up yeah, for him at the, the RNC, he was there endorsing Donald Trump. That was that was the last time I watched the UFC. Uh, was when Dana White endorsed hey, hey. Donald Trump. And he loves to intimidate the media, also, right? He has a lot of uh, media writers blacklisted. Anybody doesn't conform to their to their uh, 
narratives get get blacklisted uh, among the UFC fight, uh, writers or podcasters. He's blacklisted a lot of them, you know. I think the one does the, the showtime one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, authoritarians yeah. of a feather, you know. Yeah, Goose exactly. Together. together, man. Yeah. 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 Who, who you got so. this weekend? Who are you picking, Mikey Garcia uh, or Robert Easter Jr.? You know, I'm, I've always wanted to go for Robert Garcia. You know, you know, you know, whatever, right? I'm just so disappointed in him. I'm just tired of him. I wish he would just go away. You know, like <laughs> he's just wasting everybody's time. Yeah, he's just wasting everybody's time. He's. I mean, I don't blame him. You know, it's a prize fighting sport. Get as much money as you can. But the stuff he's talking about, you know, like moving up to welterweight fighting uh, Spence, Spence will destroy him. You know, he, you know, I. I'm sorry about that. No worries. Uh, he's chasing. He's just chasing paydays, man. Then he took like two or three years off. He was saying out pictures on Instagram. He's just chilling. You know, I don't know, man. I just, I don't like him at all. I just, I, I'm a, I don't know how to say it in English, but Mikhail Gordo, like he's just a, he's like this is somebody I don't like, man. I just don't like him. I wanted to like him, but he just, you know, he just rose me the wrong way. So, I, I guess he's going to win this weekend, but it shouldn't be anything exciting. You know, I don't, I don't think he has the power at. At uh, 140 pounds to knock out anybody, you know, I think he's too small for even that weight class. You know, he's kind of well. They're, they're, this is a 135 doughy, fight, you know. So. I don't, I don't think he has yeah, comparing to Marquez, yeah, Marquez has a lot more power, better timing. He's just—he's not even in Marquez's class. I know they compare him to Juan Marquez, but he's not even in that class at all. He's not in the same class as Marquez at all. But I, I am going to watch the fight. I'll probably subscribe to Showtime just to watch the fight. You can also, but uh, anyways, <laughs> I, I'm glad that yeah, you guys are on today, and I was glad to milk our. Called in too, man. I've been a while since I heard from him. So yeah, yeah. a lot of people start calling in again on Mondays. That'd be cool. Robbie and everybody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we uh, been trying to find our time, and uh, I think we're we'll back to Monday. I miss all the guys. You know, Nate from Houston and uh, Jimmy's Corner, Thank and, you. and certainly Ringside Robbie. So yeah, man. And there went Fernando. Um, all right, so uh, got about five minutes left, but I'm not going to do the whole thing, and I kind of want to save a little meal for Dave. Uh, I'm not quite sure. He might have got caught up with work. You know, as we always say, we're uh, working Joes on this show, and uh, sometimes things come up with the family, and, and you just can't do it. But, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about this last weekend's fight, uh, one in particular, really. It was the uh, co-feature of uh, Showbox, the new generation card on Showtime. Um, it happened in Iowa, and as it turns out, it's uh, you know, it was the the fight between uh, Zara Hamazarian uh, and Matisse uh, that went the wrong way, man. It just uh, you know, dude knocked down uh, Thomas Matisse in the second round, rocked him several times throughout, and and by everyone's you know to everyone's eye, it seemed like the guy you know Hamazarian uh, dominated and won the fight, and then. All of a sudden, it was called for Thomas Matisse. And even Thomas Matisse's team and Matisse didn't like, yeah, they raised their hand or whatever, but they didn't look too happy about it. They knew. The crowd knew. Uh, it, it, the scores just seemed absolutely ridiculous. So uh, uh, Banner Promotions and Thompson Boxing are appealing it to the Iowa, Iowa Commission. Um, it just doesn't seem, you know, uh, as uh, I believe it was. Uh, I'm trying to find the uh, the quote here. Um, said it was one of the you know one of the worst decisions they've seen on Showbox. It just 
Yeah, Steve Farhood called the decision the, the the one of the worst in the history of the series, and Barry Thompson went even farther by calling it the worst decision in 40 years. Um, it was it was that bad. Uh, it just it left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Uh, they're filing a, an appeal, and hopefully, hopefully uh, things get turned around because that decision uh, just it, it just should not stand. There, there's no reason. Uh, you can't turn that back around. Uh, so we'll see, you know, it, it, you know, it's like stolen glory uh, for the fighter, but hopefully it, you know, it's justice on his record because these things matter. Um, there's also a story I wanted to talk about that was uh, late breaking about four o'clock this afternoon, Pacific time um, written by Brett Okamoto, uh, ESPN staff writer um, who covers boxing, but uh, also MMA is uh, entitled second day weigh-in proposal for sanctioned title fights headed for a vote. Um, And I'll just read a bit from the article. A new proposal aimed at addressing extreme weight cutting practices in combat sports will be introduced at the association of boxing commissions annual convention this weekend in Orlando, Florida. The potential policy changes, which would require a majority vote by ABC members to go into effect, call for a second day weigh-in ahead of all sanctioned championship fights in boxing. During this second weigh-in, which would take place the morning of the fight, athletes would not be allowed to weigh more than 10% over the contracted weight. If an athlete failed to comply, the contest would still go on, but that athlete would be ineligible to win the championship. Uh, and additionally, uh, and this is from Brett Akamoto's piece, uh, offenders would forfeit at least 10% of their contracted purse, face the potential of a suspension, and perhaps most notably, be removed from the rankings of all sanctioning bodies until they successfully make weight at a future bout. Quote, we're not asking for the moon. 10% is a big number, end quote, from Andy Foster, executive officer of California State Athletic Commission. If a fight is 147 pounds, Foster said, for example, fighters have a 14.7 pounds of rehydration to work with. The problem is that based on our data, we have a significant amount of fighters who are coming in more than that. Another thing we're going to do, Foster says, and we feel this is extremely important, is we're going to put in the language somewhere that extreme weight cutting is cheating. Until someone labels this for what it is, it's not considered cheating. We're going to do that, and we're trying to do it this year. Uh, Foster held a a weight cutting summit earlier this year with boxing sanctioning bodies of the WBA, BC, BO, and IBF. Um, They're trying to implement these changes under the authority of the Ali Act, uh, but the sanctioning bodies have expressed support for it. So they're trying to do this. Um, IBF had something similar, but uh, they, they still have that rule. But uh, in unified title bouts, the rule didn't apply. And that most famously came to a head when Danny Jacobs decided not to do the IBF second day weigh-in and not fight for that belt against Triple G, something that uh, Triple G are still crying about to this day, not understanding that he hyperhydrated didn't get to 185, according to his guy um, and rehydrator, um, uh, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Bass. He said, you know, he got up to maybe you know, somewhere between 176 and 175, or 179, rather, uh, and that it was about adding more water was about having more energy and more to burn throughout the fight. As you can see, Danny didn't fight like leaning on the guy and using his weight. It was about energy, which he did use because he was moving a lot. Uh, and, and staying away from, from Triple G uh, after hitting him to the body and head uh, and, and hitting him with the jab. Uh, so 
we're starting to get to this. And I think this is a very important issue. Uh, we've been talking about it for a long time on this show, that this was after PEDs, the next frontier uh, would be the weight cutting issue because it's it's gotten way out of hand. It used to be that we moved to the day before weigh-in so that we could have healthier fighters on the day of the fight. Uh, and now, as all things, you know, every regulation, you know, show me a regulation, I'll show you like 10 guys trying to figure out a way to bend it to its fullest uh, and turn it into an advantage. Uh, and that's what's happened. You get guys jumping up 20 pounds, uh, you know, I mean, think back to, you know, Arturo Gotti versus Joey Gamash. Uh, where he put on like 18 pounds and everybody was like all upset. Uh, oh my God, how could this happen? And now 18 pounds is, is industry standard. So um, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see guys starting to move down into their normal weight class, uh, you know, not starving themselves ridiculously, actually sticking around to where they can be uh, most effective. Um, I think it's going to be ultimately better for the fighters uh, and, and better for the fights. Uh, as guys, you know, when you're fighting at your natural weight, you'll be fighting at your physical condition. It's never made sense to me that you spend six to eight weeks getting in peak condition. And then the last week of that training camp, you starve yourself and dehydrate yourself to the point where you could, you're barely recognizable as the same person. Uh, and then you rehydrate the next day over 36 hours. You're never going to be in better shape at, at peak physical condition uh, than if you fight near your natural weight. It just... Look at the careers of, of Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao these last few years when they're fighting near their natural weights. They're not blowing up a ton after the weigh-in. They're able to eat the day of the weigh-in. That's the way professional athletes should, should uh, treat their bodies. Um, so that's great stuff, and I, I highly recommend checking out Brett's article. Um, just real quick here, I will go down through the list of upcoming fights this weekend. Uh, I'm not going to make picks because, like I said, I think Dave and I will do what we did last week, which is do a quick 30-minute show on Friday and uh, give you a little more in-depth uh, look at the fights and who we're picking and why uh, their strengths and, and weaknesses. But uh, here we are with this weekend's fight schedule, Saturday, July 28th. Wow. So we're, uh, we're free on Friday night to party guys. Uh, no boxing um, Saturday, July 28th, Staples center, Los Angeles, California on showtime, Mikey Garcia versus Robert Easter jr. Lightweights in action, 12 rounds, uh, Louis Ortiz, Versus uh, Razvan Kajanu, heavyweights, 10 rounds. Nice to see Ortiz back in action. And Mario Barrios versus Jose Roman, junior welterweights, 10 rounds. Uh, that should be uh, an all-action card. Very exciting stuff. Uh, O2 Arena, London, England, earlier in the day if you're uh, on this side of the pond and in the evening if you're on that side of the pond. Sky Box Office, Dillian White versus Joseph Parker, 12-round heavyweight bout. Derek Chisora versus Carlos Takam, also heavyweights, uh, 10 or 12 rounds, it says. I guess it's not decided. Uh, Katie Taylor versus Kimberly Connor, lightweights in action if you like watching the ladies hit each other. And uh, Joshua uh, Buazzi versus Ricky Summers, light heavyweights, 10 rounds. Um, and then in, at the Civic Center in Kimisee, Florida, one of my favorite words, uh, Kimisee, or is that how I'm saying it right? Yeah, whatever. ESPN Plus. Uh, Christopher Diaz versus uh, Masayuki Ito. It's going to be a good fight. Uh, I was watching the tape of Ito today. He is a real guy. Nice, fluid uh, action, good power. Gets you on the end of his, his punches. Uh, not, you know, the biggest hitter in the world. He's only got like 12 knockouts. Diaz has like 15. This pretty evenly matched fight. Uh, super featherweights over 12 rounds. Artemio Reyes versus Gabriel Brocero. Uh, welterweights in action. That should be an all-action slugfest. 
Uh, and that is your weekend fight schedule. Uh, so let's get to wrap it up here. Uh, my name is Gabriel Montoya on behalf of David Duenas. Uh, oh, I have to uh, just give a shout out to all our Patreons that are uh, sticking with us uh, and, and joining us, supporting us, help keep this show going, uh, paying for uh, the, this headset that I'm wearing now uh, to give you some better sound, uh, better than the, the kind of in a tunnel phone sound that I used to have. Um, and, and the number one Patreon on there, uh, I guess I, I should say this show is not only brought to you by the patrons on Patreon, but by uh, JimKOTickets.com Boone. Uh, if you're looking for tickets for any of the fights this weekend, uh, except for the ones uh, overseas, uh, reach out to Jim Boone. Uh, that man is uh, just a, a true fight fan and provides a great service, getting you uh, the best tickets, premium tickets, at a fair price. So uh, reach out to Jim Boone on Twitter, uh, at KO Tickets. Uh, that's Jim Boone. Or go to his website, KOTickets.com. So on behalf of uh, Jim Boone, David Duenas, and myself, Gabriel Montoya, uh, I will say I'll just steal Dave's tagline. If you're uh, if you're drinking, don't drive, and if you're driving, don't drink because you may spill your beer. This has been Leave It in the Ring. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Caballeros. <laughs>